probably hear this coffee burn in the background. Mm. Yummy stuff. What are we drinking this one? Uh, it's the Black Rifle. Is it the Space Bear? Space Bear. Space Bear. Space Bear. I think the first one was like a little cocktail because there were some old grinds in the grinder that <laughs> didn't get used. So we use a little bit of that and the rest of Space Bear. This one's all Space Bear. Got a little bit of space flying bear. elk Space Bear. Yeah. yeah. Space Bear is pretty but, strong, though. That spa- the Space Bear's on the back of the elk, riding it like Pegasus. Nice. Yeah. That's good stuff, though. I mean, that that should be a Marvel movie. <laughs> Space Bear. Space Bear <laughs> on a flying elk. Yeah, no kidding. Priceless. So we're going to kind of wing a show today. We had a, a guest cancellation last minute, and I've been scrambling trying to find somebody to take over. And people just don't like to talk on radio. Or, or so it they, they want to be put on the spot. I mean, it's early in the morning, too. Yeah, I know. I mean, on. early. It's not quarter you know, to nine, but. We, call, we try to call up a couple of sales guys who love to just spout bullcrap, and they uh, they they felt like they were put on the spot. They got to think about it. I think it's funny. So I think you do what you do every day, which is just BS to customers. <laughs> <laughs> just BS to us. Sell me a product. Make me like your arrows. <laughs> I mean, is that what is that what we do here? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, we tell the truth. Which brings us to our topic of today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we can't go there. No, we can't. A little bit. We were gonna actually go on, go off on a limb and talk about God uh, the topic that we love to discuss, which is the internet. Yes. And how much we love it, and how it has well, given armchair quarterbacks power. Well, I mean, you're okay. Well, Scott, you're going to the Western Hunting Expo, right? Correct. Is that what is that at the end of the end, end of this month? End of June. Three weeks. And I'm not physically prepared for that at all. We started to. Well, you started to. We like started to a couple two days, days ago. Two days yeah. before I did. Yeah. Wait, so do you have to like hike to the top of this mountain to oh, I, like go to the yeah to go to the show? Apparently, it's some crazy you, stuff like that. You said that you were going to have to bring in your Garmin InReach because there's like, no cell service. Yeah, or it's anything. like three days in the backcountry, and it's got you know there's actually a lot of cool guys in it. Randy Newberg's there in it. Um, Ryan Lampers, um, Joel Turner, I think uh, Corey. I think there's a bunch of big names and yeah, it's going to be interesting because I'm physically not there. So what do you do? You show up to the parking lot and they give you a little goodie bag and say, all right, you get to the show here's, in three here, days. So here's your it, coordinates. Yeah. It's 12 yeah. miles that way. And you, you show up to the show wearing like ragged clothes, no shoes. Make <laughs> yeah. it naked and afraid. Yeah. yeah. Fought four bears to get there. Yeah. No, it's apparently you're going to, they're going over and, you know, teaching how to be a better elk hunter. Mountain hunter, I guess, not elk hunter. Um, techniques and stuff around that. And I mean, it's funny because they do ask you in this questionnaire that they send out, you know, what's your level of expertise is, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be it'll be Advanced. interesting. Advanced. Now, I tried. I was going to put expert, and I'm like, I'm not a damn expert. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I it's going to be tell, interesting. Don't tell any of the customers that you give all that, yeah, all, all that advice all to All that bullcrap, too. Exactly. <laughs> no, like, but no, one of the things was, yeah, you have to have a garment. You don't have to, but they strongly encourage having a garment in reach because there is absolutely zero service there. No Wi-Fi, whatever, anything. So, well, yeah. we, We've got three weeks, and I can teach you how to plot and coordinate. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Run a map like we used to. I do it old school. I, I don't even know. I have a Garmin watch that apparently does mm-hmm. all that. I have never even taken it off the face the way it is right now. Oh, to run the GPS I'm and everything? Clueless. Clueless. And I have an old school handheld GPS that's like probably 20 years old, but it works. And I usually do it by 
where the sun is and yeah. the easy old school way. I was going to say, well, I mean, that goes to show you, I mean, you can have all the tech in the world, but I mean, if you learn to do it a certain way, mm-hmm. it's probably even, even though we have a lot of newer stuff, like it's still probably easier yeah. for you anyways to do yeah. it that way. Yeah. I do it off landmarks and stuff, but yeah. they, I've, but I figured out one year that it didn't work because we had fog settle in on the mountain I was on. And yeah. If you can't see to it, more dude, than 200 lost. yards in front of you. Yeah. For real got lost. I mean like straight up legit loss and started to panic. I know the feeling. Yeah. With no, when you don't have the sun and landmarks, you so are screwed. You, let me tell you a little story about WW Korea. <laughs> I was going to say, if you, imagine if you're flying off landmarks. Uh. No, in 2007, I went through a, like a, a sergeant's leadership school. Yeah. And they took us out to uh, our, our land navigation course. And this thing was four grit squares big. So probably about five square miles, six square miles. Yeah. And it was out in rice paddies. And it was during monsoon season, so it just rained. We go out there, and they just gave us, I think it was like eight coordinates that we had to plot and then find. And once we got to the coordinates, there was this little, like, braille thing that we had to scrub with a pencil and and put it on a piece of paper. And then we're going to bring that back and show it to the people. And that's how they knew that we got all the right points. But, dude, I was out there. We had a four-hour time period. I was out there probably for like six, seven hours, <laughs> like crawling through these Koreans' uh, rice fields, tearing up their 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 brand new rice that they had just planted. I had mud all the way up to my thighs. You're lucky you didn't get shot. No, I mean we we were close to the DMZ. Just really, yeah, not that <clears throat> close. But I learned how to read a map really well. Yeah, yeah, old that's, school, old school with a protractor and a compass. Yeah, they say that's the best way to do it. Yeah, but if it's if your landmarks get washed out with the rain, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But I mean, if you want to try that, we can we can get you ready for this. You know, I, I seriously might have you do that. Okay. Because I don't like relying on this stuff. Like I have had a I took one GPS watch one year. This is back when Garmin first came out with theirs, mm-hmm. and it like died in like three hours. Because okay. when you have it running it in that mode, it kills it fast. Battery goes quick. Yeah, and then I don't. A lot of guys use the. The Onyx on hunt. I mean, hunt, I mean, I'm not hunting out west or or anything, but like you when I was, Onyx? yeah, I mean, hunting North Texas public ground last fall with Courtney and her her dad and family, and then like everything I did at home mm-hmm. in Iowa, even when we're in zero service, like my lease at home didn't have any service, but you can download like a little section of the map, right? And I always carried a battery pack in my yeah in my your, hunting pack, so. Yeah. I could charge my phone two or three times in a day if I needed to. But yeah, yeah. I could just pull that up. And as so, long as I had that section of the map downloaded, even if I had no service, I could put my could phone in airplane plot. mode and see where I'm at. Right. And I mean, I'm not, you know, five miles deep. Yeah, I'm, but still, I mean, I, I'm, you know, half, three quarters, maybe a full mile in on public ground. So I, I, bet, at, but. I bet 90% of guys use that Onyx. And I downloaded either, it once and tried either, it. Either Onyx or, uh, What's base that maps, new one? Go Hunt. Maps. Well, Base Maps has got one. Base Maps is a really good, good one. The I think a Go Hunt they started one. That's what Marco's using for his really? uh, New Mexico hunt. Gotcha. And th- that one looks pretty cool because it's got a couple different features as far as like plot and different stuff yeah. and everything. Oh, but. there's some guys do that are masters of that stuff. Like they do map overlays, put topo on yeah. top of yeah. But I mean, live and all this. That's how I learned to to scout everything. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, being 14, 15, 16, not yeah. you know having a license but not having a car the only way i could scout anything was on sat photos yeah so i'd go on google maps all the time as a kid and and that's how i learned to scout 
yeah. scout style. That's crazy. Crazy. So, crazy. yeah. Anyways, it's gonna be fun. Um, we'll get you ready. Uh, yeah, I got, I got, I got work to do. Where exactly then I found out. Then, place? then they give you a gear list you gotta have. Yeah, dude, I got so much crap I gotta get. I mean, I had most of it, but I sold a lot of it because we're, you know, we changed manufacturers. And mm-hmm. I had to get rid of my pack and. Well, not only that, but we yeah. like to make money, and you can't get can't get product right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if well, it's in this store, it's usually for sale. Well, like so one of our one of my good buddies, Jesse, has got a brand new Kafaro pack. He's never even had it in the mount. Never had it out of the shop, and he's wanting me to take it. And I'm like, dude, I'm not taking your brand new pack. I don't know. I it's not like you're gonna break it. I know. That's what he said. He said, "What's it gonna do? You're gonna break it. You're gonna scuff it up." <laughs> we'll probably fact, break said, it in. He said he was gonna take it out in the parking lot and drag it across the yeah. dirt. For, <laughs> Soften give it, it up to a me. little bit. Yeah. Where Where is this expo gonna be at? It's uh, Montana, somewhere out western Montana, and Ooh. it's remote because I know the okay. airport I fly into would be Butte, and um, then it's like an hour and a half drive from there. Yeah, it's gonna be out in the sticks. You might hear banjos. Yeah. <laughs> they call it Butte. Not but Montana. Yeah. <laughs> but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, you'll, be, sure. you'll be good. You'll be fun. You'll be having fun. Yeah, I mean and I'm I'm not nervous, it's just I'm not prepared. You're gonna be out there sweating your butt off, mm-hmm. grinding through the mountains, bridge Yeah, and I People are don't realize be, Montana this year, it'll be ninety some degrees when we're up there. We have Bridger and I are gonna be sweating. It'll be freaking 135 degree heat index in Metropolis. Metropolis. Oh, God. That is. Dude, it's supposed to be. So they're doing a, it's a World of Outlaws sprint car race at home right now. And it's supposed to be like 92 or 94 degrees today. With 100% humidity. humidity. Exactly. You know, it's crazy part of Metropolis. I don't know why. And once again, scheduling wise, I would move Metropolis to the very beginning of the year before it gets really really Have you ever been to Illinois in February? No, but like, no, it's too freaking cold then. Like <laughs> April, maybe March. I would say like. It's still pretty cold there. <laughs> I would say March, it was pretty cool this yeah, year. I, I mean, like, I don't know. June, sometimes it's not that bad. In June. Not yeah. Me. The first year I went there, it wasn't that bad. But like, it always seems like that tournament. It's always, well, normally it's in like July. Yeah. But August. it's always like oh. 90 degrees and 80% humidity, 120 plus heat index. Yeah. Just, just cooking. Yep. No, thank you. And we, I mean, Jason, you and I have shot a lot of feet events where it's like that. Yeah. To just like. Gator Cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gator Cup's always pretty bad. Arizona um, gets like that when you shoot in the afternoons. Yeah. I mean, that one's usually in the beginning of the year. But so it's, it's not dry. It's not too bad. But heck, I know last year, OPA, I wore pants on the second day and it looked like I jumped in the freaking pool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was humid. And I had to stop and grab my jacket at a gas station driving up there because it was in the like low 50s Yeah. when I flew in. Well, especially when you get into the end of the feed season and you have that lovely Texas shootout in September in yeah. College Station. Mm-hmm. be 90 degrees with 40 mile an hour I heard winds. they're not doing that this year. No, they're not. It's they're going back, back to, to going back to Ohio. Dublin, Ohio. Yeah. Hey, man. I like, that is the armpit of the United States. Dude, Dublin is killer. I like Dublin really? a lot. It's super nice. I'm from nice. there, so I'm from Ohio. Well, I mean... But- well, it's the same place we had nationals when you yeah outdoor nationals like that area that, that specific area is, area yeah, is that really area nice. Is I think that's one of the better locations for use at. Yeah, it's not yeah. crazy expensive to get to. Yeah, lot plenty of places to stay. Lots plenty of places place to, to eat. eat. Yeah, that that, that Irish place that we that, went to that pub we went to is killer. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the few ones I like a lot. And for being Ohio, it's not that bad. No, you right. don't have to deal with a lot of the 
the humidity because I mean shooting Texas shootout and you can cut the humidity with a knife. It, that it's Brazos so Valley bad. gets yeah, it gets hot there. Yeah, no thanks. Then you start um, getting into other issues, which we're we're gonna get into now. Yeah, let's just go through. I want to just answer a question. We had actually one guy, and this could be a topic that we can spend some time on. Um, he actually responded to our channel and had a question. I wanted to read through this real quick, and then, mm-hmm. Richard, yeah. Richard, you guys, we can all talk through this real quick. So it came from Ken underscore JR10. Um, hey, guys, thanks for bringing the podcast back. You guys always bring great info, info that really isn't talked about in most podcasts. I was wondering if you can expand more on the topic of aiming references and peep alignment. Uh, large pin, small pin, dots, rings, and no reference, just lens and scope. I have found that the clearer my aiming references, the more anxious I feel and have a hard time focusing on the target rather than my pin. I recently decreased from a six power to a five power lens, but kept the same power clarifier and added a ring to my lens in addition to my 19 pin. This has caused my pin and ring to fade just enough that I know they are still there, but keep the target very clear. Doing so has helped decrease anxiety felt while aiming. Are there any major disadvantages to this approach? I think he's got a couple, a lot of questions built into that that we can spend some mm-hmm. time on and which will bring us to another topic we wanted to talk about, which is target panic. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that nobody likes to talk about. Um, and then we can give our, you know, Bridger, mm-hmm. I know you and I have some, some I think some um, common interest in that topic and jaybird do you hopefully you never get it and probably a couple differing ones absolutely scratched it a little bit in the yeah. george podcast exactly yeah, every exactly. time every time i hear that word target <laughs> panic it's like <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. don't say yeah, it three times if you say it three times you're gonna get it so let's go back to his question and we'll go kind of kind of tackle it topic by topic i mean one of his first things he's talking about the topic of aiming references peep alignment large pin small pin dots rings and no reference so i mean on that line i think it it depends on the game you're playing like because you're you're totally i mean for most guys i mean some people run a lot of the same setup for a lot of different things i know like chance runs a 19 fiber for damn near everything yep um but most guys are changing their site picture or their site setup or peep setup and everything from different game, you know, be it indoor, outdoor FIDA, outdoor field to 3D. Correct. Um, even to like Redding and OPA type setups. Well, let's make um, this easy. What do you run? Like so, for your different games? So for pretty much anything target where I'm shooting at a paper face, I'm running a four power. And then for field, um, I actually run my 3D scope, but with a four power lens instead of a six. With a drilled fiber i run a red fiber for field this year i changed to a red this year because it's a little easier to see on the white face gotcha um and then for indoor indoor run a two millimeter dot and a four power lens uh outdoor target run a one millimeter 1.2 millimeter dot with a four power and then for 3d i run a 19 with a six power and a number two gotcha and i run a number one clarifier for my four power gotcha so but like do you for, change out your clarifier for your six you keep yeah the same. yeah i run a number two for i run a number two for my six well, power six. and kind of similar to what this gentleman was talking about to where you know as you go up in clarifier strength your a lot of times your pin or your whatever your aiming reference is yeah is going to dull out a little bit and for me for 3d that works out great because i can kind of look through the pin correct i can still see it so i have a good reference point and luckily my vision's poor enough that I've got good, well, I mean, working on bows and everything. I'm sure you're the same way because oh, you wear yeah. glasses all the time too, working yeah. in the shop. But like working on bows for the last 10 years, 
10 plus years, like my, I've kind of gained a little bit more nearsightedness right? because I'm doing everything at like two feet in front of me. Absolutely. Um, so I can run that stronger clarifier and still be able to see my pin. Yeah. I know when I first started shooting 3D, like if I put any clarifier at all in, like no matter what I was running for a aiming reference, my pin or dot or whatever would wash out. Wash out, yeah. So, so. you agree though that you, if you had to pick between the two, you want a clearer target and a blurry pin. For 3D, yeah. Aiming reference. For now, for target, like I, for the longest time, I ran a four with no clarifier at all. Really? For shooting FIDA, like when I won finals, when I shot all my USA stuff. I always ran no clarifier. Part of that was, you know, dealing with elements. I didn't want to worry about a peep. I didn't want to have the the Sarah Lopez double zero in the gold final in China. Yeah. Deal where you rain. Rain and fog and then <laughs> fog go <laughs> and blow right into your peep site. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but other than that, you so do you on your FIDA setups or your field, you are still you're still you're you're wanting a clear dot. For that more so, for that yeah. More so. Because more dot because you're aiming that at I'm color. referencing. So the for a three D <clears throat> target, I, a lot of times I'm aiming off of something. Yeah. So I need to see what's on the target right. more. For FIDA, I mean, FIDA indoor target, all that stuff. Like in all reality, you're just centering yeah. a dot inside of a you know a black, white, Correct. yellow, blue, so whatever ring. Yep. So for for that, I like being able to see both because I see it as one kind of one image right or try to kind of see it as one image when i'm uh you know visualizing everything right 3d is going to be different because i mean not only that but your target is changing every target right you know it's funny you brought it up because i know i used to be running almost exact same setup for 3d i would run a six power lens with a number two clarifier mm -hmm. and i went and got lasik done and i'm gonna tell <laughs> you that changed my life because it was crazy i can almost run a six power lens with no clarifier see I was going to ask, I know talking to Paige when she got it done for FIDA and everything, it helped her out quite a bit, but yeah. she struggled a lot finding a good peep setup Correct. to clear up her target and everything Correct. the way she wanted. Because like I said, I, I think it's almost an advantage being nearsighted because all the clarifier does is fix long sight or, Correct. It, you know, it fixes your distance Correct. Uh, vision. Yeah. So, and if I've got strong enough nearsightedness anyways... You know, that kind of combats yeah. that the negative effect you get from a, a clarifier. Oh, without a doubt. So, I mean, it was crazy because then I actually learned this from Bridger. I used to run a humongous 42 millimeter scope. I wanted to gather as much light as I could on my target. I wanted mm -hmm. to see everything out there that I can get all the information, you know, in one so scope. You're getting your whole bail inside yeah. your target. And, well, then I, I would run a, scope. I'd run a huge, you know, eighth inch peep, you know, big and honk peep site. a big honking peep site. And then I would put a pretty decent power in there because I was. Put, I was putting a lot of light. It makes, in my eye. it makes it tough to. It does tough to see that. So that when pin. I got when I got LASIK, I went to a thirty-five millimeter scope. I've tried the twenty-nine. I just can't do it. It's just not enough information for me. Yeah. Um, and then I went, to, but Bridger taught me, you know, teaching old dog new tricks. I went to that tiny ass Try to go to a smaller peep. Oh my god! See, it just changed my life. That's that's the other thing too. Is it? I mean, the size of your peep's going to change your so target important. clarity too. Yes. Because like I could go down one more notch. And it's it's just barely too dark for me. Let's get, get for 3D. Gray. Like in full, like if I'm out in the parking lot here mm. in full sun, you know, shooting on white caliche rock. It's perfect. Like there's plenty of light. Like I could literally put my pin inside of a 12 ring yeah. at 50 plus yards right. and see it no problem. Right. But 
you know, especially when you go to an event like London we had last week or really any event where you're shooting in the shade, there's just not enough light. Right. While you have a lot of clarity, you lose detail because of the lighting. So some of it's playing with, with both clarifier and peep size. You know, if you'd like to see your pin more, maybe try a slightly weaker clarifier, you know, maybe instead of a number two, if you're running the specialty podium peep instead of a number two, try a 1.5 or the Hamski, try the, what is it? A plus, A plus, A plus, plus, whatever it is. Yep. Um, you know, try one slightly weaker with a slightly smaller peep aperture. Right. And as long as you still have enough light, you know, that clarifier is not fuzzing out your pin and that smaller peep is clearing up your target as well as your pin. Yeah. So it's funny. I think that you, you know, first of all, you know, those little peep kits they sell like podium yeah. carries one. I know mm-hmm. Hamski does too, where you got all the different aperture mm-hmm. sizes and the lenses. I think that you're a foolish if you shoot hyper competitive archery to not have that. I mean, kit. it's it's so, it's so worth important. having that oh, kit, man. Yeah, without and a it's doubt. so much easier now. Where like before, when we just had you know just the regular, yeah. specialty peep or the right. the Tommy John or the what is it the, the is Tommy? It, what Tommy did that one? The Gomez Peep and Tom. Peep and Tom. Yeah, that one. Um, Hamsey kind of did it first with having the you know the lenses separate from the apertures. Correct. I think. I think the specialty one is easier to use because it's all finger tight and stuff. Yeah, right. Um, and the, I, I don't break lenses when I try and pull them out. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, that's like forty it's bucks. A- I have dropped them too on the ground. Right. In, I actually was at, I think it was at Coleman, and I'm at the specialty booth, and, <laughs> and I literally pulled my aperture out and the lens fell right in front of the guys too. And I looked down. I'm like, well, there were $35. <laughs> oh, dude, look, right after I got mine, I was playing with it. And the first thing I did, I freaking popped, I tried to half power my four, and yeah. my four power, I was going to field nationals. I freaking unscrewed it and turned it over, and it hit my hand, bounced, bounced around, off. fell on the floor and just, I mean, vanished. Vanished. Dude, it's unbelievable. It was funny. The guys felt bad for me. They were trying to find it down there. I'm like, God, just give up. Just, I'm, just, it's here's, not 30 more dollars. here's 30 just more dollars. Just, exactly. Save the stress. But, but no, that, that is really important. I think the, the aperture size, because which is one thing you'll, you'll find in archery and i think that it's a misnomer you're not going to have one clarifier slash um scope setup that is going to work across all venues mm-hmm. both indoor and outdoor it even goes from event to event like you said you go to london kentucky and then you go over to foley mm-hmm. those two are completely different lighting Very venues different. yeah foley foley for the most part early in the year usually so there's not as much you know there's not as much vegetation, vegetation there. yeah as well as you know i mean a lot of those are pines and stuff Correct. but a lot of the trees that aren't pine you know aren't fir trees don't have don't have yeah. a lot of leaves or right. anything so it's fairly open pretty light out so light. you know like for me i run that smaller smaller peep and a smaller housing right. just because that's what i was used to yeah you know shooting feta for all those years uh but that tournament is super easy for me to see at correct but and i've always you, shot the, fairly decent there because of that but then you go to london and it's a different ball game mm-hmm. i mean now it's, got it's not as it's not as bad as it used to be right i know everybody the first year I went, everybody talked about how you had to have a different scope set up and everything. And I showed up with, you know, a, a housing with a 10th out fiber and no lens, right. you know, in preparation of standard five yards out into the power line and shooting into the timber in the last, you know, three or four years or whatever, they've moved, basically cut the lanes five yards deeper. So now we're standing in the tree line. Right. I mean, it's still dark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this year, freaking Saturday, we're shooting straight east in the morning. So the target's black target right in front of you and the sun is like five feet over its back like yeah. you're staring at the pearly gates all day i don't know how justin hannah shot that score that he did yeah but. that's crazy 
it was it was tough this year. Yeah. The second day, the first you, five targets were nuts. But in that in that in those two different arenas, you would potentially be using two different aperture yeah. sizes. Yeah, and I know a lot of, of a course. lot of guys like dropped down one or two right. notches in their scope and then went to a slightly larger. I know I shot with. Uh, Oh man, I, that's bad. I shot with Glenn. Glenn, yeah. And uh, on Saturday, and he went to a slightly larger, larger, scope. larger scope this year. Yeah, try to get more light. So, anyways, the, back to that question. So it's real important. Now, most of the guys in that feed and stuff, I know I do the same thing you do. I use a pretty darn. I use actually a really big. I don't know, probably a six millimeter dot in, for, to for there, indoor for indoor and all for feeded targets because I'm, I'm just, covering everything up. I'm trying to cover everything up. I yeah. just want to make the white disappear or the yellow disappear. I just want to see it anymore. Now, if I don't see it anymore, then I know I'm in the middle and it right. allows me to aim what I call safe and comfortable. <laughs> more of a more of a passive aim. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know, I'm you know, there's two different ways to look at this from a coach's perspective, but if you put a tiny, tiny, tiny two millimeter dot in there and you're trying to get it inside that white ring, you're you know, and it starts to fade a little bit off to the left or right at ten o'clock, and your brain starts to freak out. And mm -hmm. it, I think it target panic. I mean, right, word, I mean, well, I mean, that's right along the lines of what this gentleman is talking about with this question. Kind of going back to his stuff is um, sometimes it can be advantageous to see the target more than your than your yes. aiming reference. Yes. So, yeah. and a, a lot of it just depends on a your eyeballs and how your brain works, and b how you visualize your pen sitting on the target. Right. So for me, for 3D, like I said, that higher power, I like seeing the target more and I'm aiming off, usually aiming off of either, you know, blemishes or sun marks on the Correct. target or Correct. reference points on there or other arrows in the target. Whereas FIDA, you know, outdoor, outdoor is a little bit different for indoor than indoor for me because right. you're playing the wind. So Correct. I like running that smaller dot for, you know, the 50 meter game. Right. You know, if I'm having to aim like left or right side 10 or left or right side nine, depending on the wind. Correct. Um, but indoor, you know, you're not dealing with, you know, that's that. a darn good point. I never thought about that. If you're, <laughs> you guys are laughing, Jason's laughing because he's been shooting the last couple of days out in the wind here in Texas. The wind is a big one. And so if I went outside there and I tried to shoot that large dot, that would be a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. Because then if you got to aim off nine o'clock, you'd have to, if you got to aim like between or nine dot, or something, yeah, that would be tough. tough. So you'd, you'd have, have to go. aim that half dot, yellow half dot red. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Yeah. Yeah. So See, that I, makes sense. I like that that bigger that bigger pin. I run a thirty thousandths pin for outdoor feeder. Well, I mean, you're used to it a but little I'd bit like, because you you can't run a correct. Run but a I mean, I could I could still run a small a small pin if I if I needed to. Mm -hmm. But I always believe for some reason, you know, if you cover up the the whole target and you you make a small movement, that small movement of fifty meters isn't going to multiply as right as with a small pin that small movement's going to amplify. And, you know, if, if you're holding in the X and you drop down into the 10, mm -hmm. that, that movement's going to equal to possibly shooting a nine. Yeah. I, it's just the way that I mean, my, yeah, my uh, primitive uh, mind works. Mo most of it's going to be personal preference, which, correct. you know, going back to the peep stuff, like it's nice now that you can buy one full kit. Yeah. And it's and just, you're literally in, you got one little tiny box, be it the Hamsky or the, the specialty peeps. Mm-hmm. You know, and be able to change everything kind of on the fly and figure out what works well for you. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it makes a huge, huge difference. But good, good topic of that because it's, it's all different for everybody. I've learned that because everybody that comes mm -hmm. in here with that issue, you know, I think you've got to go through that school of trial and error. What's going to mm -hmm. work for you? What's not? I, I have advice though on that. I think you go to this, and this is Bridger educating me. I think you need to go to the smallest aperture size you can physically mm -hmm. handle. 
and still see. Yeah. And I mean, even to the point, and I've learned this, if it's a little gray, it's going to be clearer. Mm-hmm. See, I, and again, personal preference, like I, I prefer clarity over brightness because right. I mean, doesn't, if you can't see it, if I, if I can't pick out any distinctive markings mm-hmm. on it, but it looks like a flashlight shining in my eyeball, it's still not going to do me any good if right. I don't yeah. know where I'm at on you know, it. That's exactly. especially, that's especially true on a 3d course. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're already don't have any to look at, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to find that bonus ring or that 10 ring. And I think clarity overtakes light at that point. For sure. You have to And I mean, it. you look at a lot of guys on the 3D side that are dominant with it. I mean, Perkins, he runs that mini mag from Shrewd, which is only a couple millimeters larger than the housing that I run. Right. I run that little 25. Right. Um, I mean, even Levi doesn't run too big of a housing. I know. Right. Um, I mean, then you got other guys that are way out in left field, like Nathan Brooks doesn't shoot a lens at all. Yeah, and I mean, but he's been doing it that way for years. Right. Um, Levi runs a pretty low power, but for the most part, guys are running, you know, between a 30 and 35 mil housing. And then at least a four to six, probably at least four. Most guys are running a six, you know, four, five or six for 3D. And then depending on your draw length, your peep sight's going to change a little bit. Right. Your clarifier and everything like that. But um, for 3D, there's a lot more room for. Room for play. Variations, yeah. Variation, well, everything. And then, for- then you even look at pin size. Like I, I, I tried to run a 10,000 pin one year, but I got too much washout. I mean, mm-hmm. on blonde targets, I just, mm-hmm. I, I struggled too much. So I went to a 15,000, mm-hmm. um, which I like. Shrewd, I love the fact they make a 15,000 fiber, even though you have to be very diligent on your burn. Because yeah. if you burn it, you're going to burn it. Well, see, and like, <laughs> even that stuff too. Like, I run a 19, but I don't, I run a 19 so I can get more light on that with pin. a cut fiber. Right. Well, I'm no running burn. a center drill, so I only got, yeah. you know, a half inch of fiber. So right. I need a bigger fiber to grab it. Right. My clarifier is making, making that uh, fiber essentially smaller anyways. Correct. But like uh, Courtney, girlfriend's bow, she was having trouble seeing a 10 thou fiber. So I just put a 19 in hers, but didn't burn the end. Didn't burn the end. So you if got you, a true 19. So it's a true 19. Correct. So it's a little bit sharper for not being burned. Right. Looks smaller. Um, but I mean, you can do the same thing, 10, 15, 20, right. some guys so, even shoot a 30 on the lower, you know, not many, as many guys. Usually if you're shooting a bigger fiber, you're running a lot stronger, a lot stronger, uh, lens. Yeah. Lens like a six or seven right? or even higher. I know page runs like eight power, Yeah, but you know, you can run higher power. You run a stronger clarifier, which is making that pin look smaller. Right. So one of the things that's a tri- tip and technique is you can take a 10th out fiber and if you mushroom and burn the end of it, you know, to keep it from you can get through, it you can get to it about 12, 15,000. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you have to play with that. I know a lot of guys will run a 10 and just snip the end of it, pull it through the, through the pin and mm-hmm. it's true 10th out. Yeah. Well, um, and luckily with lights now, like God, lights are so damn bright. Juice. They're Some of those, that, that, uh, the one with the little dial on it. Mm-hmm. Glenn was using it, the, 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 the Schleit. Yeah. I think it's called, but man, dude, that thing is like blinding. <laughs> Holy shnikes, that thing gets bright. So yeah. if you don't like, you know, if you want to run that 10th out fiber, you can run a crazy light, crazy bright light like that. And then you don't have to mushroom so where were the we? smaller fibers like that. We shot that local tournament here I think, a couple of weeks ago and we got out in the sun when we made the turn and I'm telling you, well, you, I was with you. Mm-hmm. You remember how bad they were star brighting our, our sites? We were shooting hunting setups. Yeah, so. 
you know, bite me. Me and, I, me and Marco were dealing with some crap. I mean, the, the star bright. I mean, my pin one time was glowing so bright I couldn't see mm -hmm. the target. So well, see, that's why I run such, I mean, for all the scopes I set up here, I try and cover as much fiber as possible yeah, to yeah. give. That way, I mean, we're kind of going off in the left field a little bit here, but as far as setting up your pin and light setup for a 3D scope, right? covering as much of that fiber as possible so that the only light getting to it is coming from your, your actual sight light yeah. is insanely beneficial because then you can control exactly how bright right. you want that pin and right. how big it's going to look on the target. So it's like actually, it's not, I think it's a good topic. So ambient light uh, when we're in our setups, when we're outdoors, especially when 3D and, and feed and stuff. And, is crazy in my important. eyes, is the ambient light is absolute enemy. Yeah. Well, so and that's why you'll see a lot of guys, and here's another tip and technique, they'll have a strip of black tape on their bow mm -hmm. or on their site somewhere. And we use that so we can take it on and off very quickly and efficiently and maybe cover our entire fiber mm -hmm. so that you, to your, to Bridger's point, you're, you're running, you are now controlling well, the amount of light that gets to yeah. that pin. Well, and that's like, that's an old school, like feed a field set. Cause Dave, yeah. I, I remember shooting a couple field rounds with Dave and he was getting ready for uh world field. And we shot NFA nationals one year and he sh was shooting his world archery setup. Mm -hmm. And he had, like you said, he had like a six inch piece of uh, like, electric tape yep. on his stabilizer. And I'm like, what in the hell is that for? Yeah. And we had one target where we were shooting into the, shooting into the timber and we we're standing out in the sun Yeah. and I was shooting a dot at the time. So it didn't bother me at all. But I looked at Dave's site before we got ready to get up to the line to shoot. And his pen looked like the size of freaking Texas. Like, I'm <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell you're going to do there. Yeah. He's like, watch this. He peeled it off and stuck. Set that all fiber, the fiber all the way around the fiber and Gone. just a little tiny green dot. Yeah. So if you're able to cover your fiber like that, you know, for 3D when you can run a light, if you can cover all your fiber, then the only light getting into it getting to it is from your sight light. Right. So you can control exactly how bright it is, no matter what the lighting conditions are. Hundred percent. Yeah. So you, in your opinion, if you're feed a field, how many guys are shooting? uh dots versus pins i think it's 50 50 or yeah probably really? i mean i guess i don't know for sure i've never i've i've shot one feet of field my my whole life i shot just one marked around at canadian yeah. nationals one year yeah so and i was shooting a dot at that but it was you know pretty standard course right now field archery nfa field archery nfa field like i run a light so i run almost the exact same 3d scope setup as i do for 3d but i run a four instead of a six same scope and everything, just center drill with the light mounted on top of the top of the housing. Gotcha. So, so do a lot of guys. I run dots there, Jason. What would I mean in yours on a field setup? Would you run a dot or a for like fifty meter what, outdoor? Yeah, I I say a lot of guys run dots. Yeah. When I first started, I had a dot. Yeah. But now I'm I I run pins for everything. <laughs> everything that has a peep and a scope on my bow's got a pin. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I would say dots are more popular but Correct. pins are pen in the in the feet of size stuff is becoming more and more popular yeah really i know tate shoots a pen um rio rio uh does it or no i think rio still shoots his one I, i've seen him has he been running a, running yeah. a glow pen so you know a crazy question because this guy's talking about you know going back to his text message here um using a a a ring around your pin or around your dot. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a, to add another reference. I mean, is there a point where you get too much information? I think I think that would be for me personally. Having a pin 
and then having that that the framing ring that framing ring that's too much I, even having the dot with the framing ring was too much one time i put that yeah. on and i was like oh my god i don't know which one to line up do i line up yeah. the pin? do and i line up the <clears> reference i think some of it too depends on your brain so like i know for a while um right right when specialty bottom uh oh, double vision i i can't for the life of me remember the name of the company they bought but basically so you could have uh you know just the center portion of your of your lens yeah. magnified so you had like a six power in the middle and a two power on the outside right or guys that were only running the ring especially to where made that especially made it they, yeah. I, they bought it from i can't remember the name of the company but i shot yeah. that that housing for a long time right but you know having that you know to where you're only looking at the target versus trying to cover up what you want to hit so yeah. And the whole idea behind that is same way like you we had talked about before with you know your eye is naturally going to center center right you're pinned into your peep sight 100 you're using that same point reference or same train of thought you know mo- keeping that ring around what you want to hit so and you know for me i i i could not shoot like that because yeah. i i learned how to shoot you, you know using a hunting sight with a pin yeah. cover up what i want to hit Right. That's how I learned to shoot. So I've always shot that that dot or a center drilled pin. Yeah. Um so I some guys get, some guys do really well with that. I know Grant uh Grant Slicer, he got second place at Lancaster one year. He shot in the Pro Division for a long time. With the framing ring. Um but yeah, he shot the framing ring. He's always shot that. So I think a lot of it has got to do with and I've had this issue before. I'm actually struggling with it right now a little bit. The framing ring allows you to stare at the X mm-hmm. or to stare at your bonus ring, whatever you want to call it. And I catch myself on occasion with a pin or a dot looking around my pin, mm-hmm. trying to find my reference. Mm-hmm. Like I'm standing, I'm staring at a 30 yard, you know, bore, let's say, and I can see the dot or I can see the guy's arrow, let's say, and I'll cover his arrow up and then I'll start looking around it, trying to find his pin. Am I, am I still there? Let me look around that pin, and then if that shot breaks right then, yeah, you're you missed. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's a super common problem for a lot of guys, which is why some people like that yeah. that framing ring. Well, then it, you know we can go go down this rabbit hole. Then you have that whole issue of some guys, and I think a lot more people do this than they admit. They snow cone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do it. I do it a lot. <laughs> hey, every time. I do I mean, it a lot, and and for the longest time, I thought I had. But in reality, <laughs> in reality, all I wanted to do was see, see the yellow. Yeah. And I just, I just remember you talking to you one time and you're like, just dial it down. Dial it Make down. Make sure hey, that man, go with it, man. I know. I mean, Jason, you could probably talk on this more than I can, but, um, I know I've worked with other guys before in the past that were, uh, mil, you know, form of military mm-hmm. and they were taught to aim at six o'clock. Correct. Yeah. Run an iron sight. So sure. iron sights at a hundred yards. I mean, you're, you know, your iron sights on an M16 is going to cover your entire silhouette. Yeah. Correct. So, so they, they, he, the gentleman I was talking to, Spencer, he said, hey, I always aim six o'clock because that's how I was taught to aim oh. in the military. Yeah. You know, so I could always see what I'm aiming at and my reference point. Yeah. Right? Iron sights at 300 meters, you would aim right at the bottom of the body where it meets the, the dirt mound. Right. Mm-hmm. And you would hit dead center. Dead center. So yeah. I'm so used to that where I put my pin right at the top of the eight, bottom of the nine. And then I crank it. And then like yesterday when I was shooting, I was getting frustrated because I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this whole cover the yellow thing with my pin. And then I would do that and I'm hitting like a high seven. Yeah. 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 Like, all right. Well, yeah. So I guess I'll just go back to what so works. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong. And a lot of coaches may tell you differently or a lot of shooters. But 
you know, you go with what your mind wants to do. Yeah. I think go with it. a lot of it depends on what your first impression on shooting sports is, whether it's, you know, if you're a military guy, if you learned how to aim that way, if your first impression of shooting sports was, you know, shooting military rifles and yeah. basic training and that's how you're taught mm-hmm. and that's how you learn to do it, then lean into that. For me, my first impression of shooting sports was rifles and shotguns and, you know, hunting sights on a hunting bow. Right. You know, and, you know, shotgun shooting clays. I mean, you're leading it a little bit, right. but, you know, but for shooting the slugs part, for deer, I'm covering, covering the beat, covering whatever I want to hit up with the bead. Rifles, I'm putting the crosshair directly where I want to hit. Right. Um, so that's how I learned how to aim. So I think a lot of it's going to depend on what, how you initially learned to yeah. hit something that you're trying to hit. Right. You know, be it, you know, with archery, uh, shotguns, rifles, handguns. Yeah. I, th- you know, one thing I was just, I remember we talked with Paige Pierce about it when she did our podcast last mm-hmm. year. And to hear her talk about how far off she aims to hit a middle feed a target is mind boggling. She don't do that anymore. I, I, well, I think you can, you can go on to some extremes, like, you know, aiming six o'clock at a spot is one thing, but like what Paige used to do or what is, Emily Fisher used to do, yeah. or I get Emily Dixon now, what they used to do is a little extreme. Cause I, I mean, when I won world championships with Emily, when we won the mixed team, yeah, like I would tell her where I was aiming to hit and she's like, ah, okay, well tell me how many inches off you're aiming. I'm like, why? She's like, well, I, I'm, I'm aiming at like two inches underneath the bottom right corner of the paper. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that might be your uh, little blue button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, for real. But you know, it's funny you say that people don't realize what works for other archers and what, how extreme it can be. And they, right. they're very good at it. I mean, at that point you may be hitting the, the old bandaid solution moment there but that's uj that's uj your phone's going wacko but yeah so no, I, but emily at the time and still to this day she's one of the best female archers she was killing that time, oh, she yeah. was amazing i mean amazing she'd take two years off come back and i think she smoke. did one year came to took two years off came back and paris. got one paris and then got like silver or first at yeah. uh, gator cup one year yeah she's she's a heck of an archer but so I guess the big, I guess the point we're trying to get across is that you've got to find out what works for you mm-hmm. as an archer, what you're trying to look at. And this is where the internet can get you in trouble. You can go on the internet and get all this information about guys saying, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do that. And that's all horse crap. Yeah. Um, why fight what your brain or what you're wanting to naturally do as long as your scores are where you need them? I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, aiming two inches off the paper at 50 meters, like maybe maybe try and work on what you're doing a little bit. Well, but, use your $350 knobs. You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, on your site. But no, that's know. that's good stuff. Good, good so, stuff. But as far as that rep, the the framing ring, you know, if you're putting that circle on the target or I know the the Excel Excel ones, they have that one that comes with them, that little mm-hmm. steel, steel deal. The only reason I didn't like it is, A, I'm used to covering up. B, with that, my, my target's always changing. So, like... I would only ever use that for, for tart or for, uh, like feed or indoor. Right. You know, cause then I have a hard reference, you know, I got a circle of reference on my scope and then the circle of the target Whereas so, 3d, you can't really do that. I want to answer this guy's last part of this. So, um, he's, he says, this has caused my pin and ring to fade just enough that I know they are there, but still keep the target very clear. Um, doing so has helped decrease my anxiety felt while aiming. Are there any major disadvantages? So I'd I think, what, no. no, I think what no, you did I, was right. I think, well, I mean, especially if, if, if he is talking about a 3D setup, 
Yeah. Like I find that, you know, having your pen slightly blurred out or whatever your aiming reference right. is, pen ring, whatever, having that slightly blurred out is a hyper advantage because yes. it, A, it makes it smaller. B, it's easier to look past. So you're not as likely to do like what you're talking about doing to where you're kind of like moving it out of the way to peak to, to make peak. sure you're on the spot still. Yeah. Cause like at 40 yards for me, I can, you know, normally I run my pen pretty dim. So it's almost more of like a smudge on my lens than anything else. Correct. Cause it's blurred out anyways. But like at 40 yards, if somebody's got a lime green arrow down there, I can put the pin on top of that and still see the arrow, right. you know, around it. Right. For the most part. Yeah, I think that it, if you can't see the target clear, you start to get the old um, the old TP. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or at least no. some some form of aiming panic. Aiming panic, panic yeah. Because you, you can't find it. Yeah. You A you can't find it. If you're not if you're not confident on your site plate site placement on a three D yeah. target, you're right. not gonna make as strong of a shot nope. for the most part. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're not confident that your pin's in the right spot. Yeah. So we see that a lot in the shop. We get guys that come in and they want to, you know, get a sight light put on or they want this. And the number one thing I hear is, man, I can't see my pin. Can't see it. Well, can't no. see. It's, good. it's not a bad you thing. You can't see the pin or can't see the, can't see the target. Exactly. And I just, I just believe that you've got to have a clear target and a smudgy pin if you want to be successful right. in any, and I don't care what it is from an archery perspective. Even when you're hunting, you got to see what you're aiming at. If you yeah. can't see it, you can't hit it. Well, not just that, but then when, if, if you can see your pin, again this is my opinion i don't i don't normally run a peep in a scope like you guys but when i do and if you can see your pin you focus on your pin 100 and now you're moving all over the place because oh, yeah. you're following that pin going oh, all over yeah. the place and it just frustrates you it develops it, it gives me a little bit of vertigo too and you now, know I, i've been ruined. i have been saying this for years i think that guys will equate pin versus target clarity with bow forgiveness because i know for a fact that if you shoot a bow you get a super clear pin and that pin's moving all over the place. I mean, it's not, I don't care who you are, the pins move. Correct. Um, and you happen to break, you know, your pin breaks, let's say, right of your target, that's and you're staring at your go. pin, that's where your arrow's going. Yep. And then you'll complain and bitch and say, man, I just made a horrible shot, you know? I think, <laughs> and I think the other round of it is, is if you've got a clear target and your pin's a little blurry and you're getting that pin movement, but you're staring at your X or you're staring at your bonus ring 12. Your subconscious sudden, is going to. Yeah. And then all of a sudden your pin runs to the right and you break the shot looking at the 12. It's going to come back. You'll get real close to that. And then the guys will go, man, my bow's really forgiving. No, I think you just got the right setup from a visual standpoint. Mm -hmm. And you're. There's less perceived movement. So Correct. a lot of times, I mean, Correct. Not, I would say 95% of the time in that specific instance where guys are saying that, you know, my, my pin didn't break on the, on the middle, but it still hit their bow's really forgiving. Yeah. I mean, well, I think a lot of the times is you're you're making a better shot, mm -hmm. you know, from a form standpoint because you're more confident in you know how your sight looks. Correct. If you have a left less perceived movement, it's easier to make a better shot because you're not as worried about that pin shaking around right. as much. Right. So, but this brings you to a good question. I mean, with your setup and stuff, how much do you move on your pin? I mean, is there I mean, a such if, thing as a pin not moving? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. If really? I'm if I'm holding really well, like I could, especially at like twenty yards or fifty meters, right? You know, shooting a four power, like there, multiple times. If I'm feeling good that day, holding well, feel like the shots are breaking on time and everything, like I'll come down, and I'll sit in the middle, and it, it'll Not it won't moving. look like it's moving. Right. Now it's obviously you know jittering around a little right. bit, but for me, it looks very steady. Gotcha. And even on a three D target, it you know, 
45, 50 yards. If I've got, if my eyeballs are working right and I can see well, um, it's easier for me to hold right where I want to. So, so do you think, I hate you. Yeah, no shit. Do you think that is um, just time behind the bow, building the muscle structure that's required? I mean, that's a lot of it. Some of it's, I mean. Bow balance. I mean, I remember a, a, a podcast that Greg did with Levi one time where he talked about being 12 years old and shooting a 60X with like a, a painted pen. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I ain't saying like I got it and other people don't, but like right. sometimes you just got it. And other, you know, oh, I lost, oh, there I am. I mean, sometimes you just got it. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. But I mean, I think people can get to that point. A, shooting. B, I, I mess with my stabilizers and draw length a lot. Correct. I mean, a lot to the point where I had Pat make me third ounce weights. Correct. Aluminum aluminum weights right. for uh, my stabilizer. So I can add a third ounce to the front of the back at a time as opposed to a full ounce. Right. Um, to, to try to fine tune that float, mm-hmm. that pin float. So, I mean, some of it's that, some of it's, you know, just time behind the bow shooting. And some of it too is, is scoping sight set out. Yeah. Cause you know, if you, if you're looking at something that you want to look at, or if you're comfortable with what you're looking at, you're going to be calmer anyways, which right. is going to help you hold steadier. So there's a good question. Um, I think that needs to be talked about is, so if you're looking and you got pin movement and I say most amateurs, most guys who listen to this podcast mm-hmm. are going to be, they're going to deal with movement. Um, would you say more power to get the target clear and deal with the movement or go to lower power to decrease the movement? Because all these things are centered around that one word we don't want to talk about, but I'm, I think all these I mean, we're talking about goes against target panic. Like, like everything time. else, it's, it's personal preference. I mean, I would say personal preference and, you know, kind of a happy medium. Right. So for most guys, you know, a four or five power, is going to give them what they probably what they want to look at on a 3d scope right setup i know a lot of guys here like we put a lot of people into two or three powers for indoor right because you get less perceived movement but it's still you know blowing the target up a little bit easier right. to see easier to aim at um like i don't think everybody can sit there and hold a six power lens inside of a x-ring at 20 yards like i right. by no means saying that i mean i can't even do that right. half the time right so for me having that lower power for indoor and field and feta and all that stuff. It's easier for me to break that shot because I'm shooting more arrows. Right. You know, I'm fatiguing faster and all that. With 3D, I'm shooting 20 arrows a day for score. Right. Like I can get away with running a six power. Got more time in between shots. I'm fully rested before my next arrow. Right. 99% of the time. So getting away with it for field and stuff is fine. Or excuse me, for 3D is fine. But so it's, fun- it's funny you say that because if I had to guess, I see the opposite. Most people seem like run like a six or eight indoors because they want to blow that X up really big. I mean, why do that? Why? I, yeah. I mean, Courtney runs a two power lens with like a four or six millimeter dot. So it's covering the gold and maybe even then some. And I, <laughs> I mean, I run a fairly small dot for most guys for indoor. Right. But I've just always ran that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I ran a mine, zero power lens. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think most guys for, for target style stuff, a lower, <clears throat> lower power lens, less magnification, right. it's going to be easier to hold. You're going to break so, better shots because you're getting less perceived movement. Right. Yeah. So in other words, you know, folks look at maybe possibly going the opposite, look at a two power zero or no power was, and run a big 29,000 pin. Yeah. If you need a pin, I mean, I would run a big dot and a two power sounds about right it clears up the target two two to four for most guys indoor and target you know paper style stuff is going to be pretty optimal you know maybe bump up to that four power for 
50 meter or for NFA right. or NFA or world archery field type right. stuff. Um, for 3D, I wouldn't be scared of going, you know, six. four to six. Four to six, yeah. Right so, and bigger. then you got some freaks that run like an eight or, I right. remember Josh Binger had Chuck at Feather Vision when he was still there, made a 12 power lens. Jeez. Now, granted, he had like a 25 inch draw length and ran like a number eight <laughs> clarifier. So, he, <laughs> it, was, it was basically a four power. But, That's hilarious. But, I mean, some guys, some guys love seeing yeah, as really much strong. target as they possibly can in front of them. Right. So. Again, I mean, it's always going to be outliers, but I would say for the most part for 3D, most guys are going to be four to six. And then, you know, a one to a one to a two, maybe a three if you're, you for know, indoor. a longer draw length for clarifier strength. But yeah, for indoor, pa- most indoor, guys. Indoor, paper. For paper, most guys run that two yeah. to four range. Right. So, folks, you got to try that because I think it's going to help probably improve your scoring if you because I, I will bet you that most people are running that opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're and, flip-flopping those. And even so much as running... You know, like if you run a hamski peep, get even if you own, don't get the clarifier kit, get the aperture kit. Correct. Yeah. Which I mean, like the specialty aperture kits, like what forty bucks. bucks? Yeah. The 40, aperture 60 only forty. Bucks. You can get both of them for like eighty. Yeah. And it's well worth and the money. And then you have literally like, God, I'm trying to think. There's Everything. like thirty different peep combinations mm-hmm. you can run if you get the full app or aperture and clarifier. And clarifier kits. kit. Yeah. There's like 30 different combinations you can yeah. run. One of those is probably going to work for somebody. Exactly. So yeah, you can, like the Hamski, I just upgraded to the the Feather Vision clarifiers, mm-hmm. the A and B. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit risky and try that six power. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, crazy important to be able to see your, your target, see your pin, that combination to find it. Because if not, and let's kind of talk about the next subject that I don't think anybody wants to talk about. I think all of those things we've talked about in the last 35, 40 minutes relate to target panic. I mean, that that crazy word that no one wants to talk about. Some some form of it. Some form no, I, of it. I would say it's more of a <laughs> visual aiming panic yeah. than it is like a physical target panic. Because, I don't know, the same reason I, like when I, when guys talk about blank bailing and all that stuff, I always say like, you got, you got to have a visual stimulant. Right. Because mm-hmm. regardless of what you're doing, unless you're shooting in the blind guy class, like you always have, you are always aiming at a target when you shoot a scoring arrow. Correct. Yeah, but even you're, the blind guys don't shoot at blank bales. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I agree. But I've like, I mean, them. they don't, they don't <laughs> have a, vis, they don't have a visual stimulant. <laughs> right, right. You know, right. that they're going off of. So right. it doesn't matter how good your shot is. Right. If you're aiming in the eight ring and make a perfect shot, it's probably going to be an eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, like when I struggled with target panic as a kid, my number one thing to do, I literally shot at six feet right. at a Vegas face, but I shot at a Vegas face. So I always had an aiming stimulant. Right. So, you know, if you are dealing with that target panic stuff and you do want to do the blank bell thing, I, I'm a huge proponent of still having an aiming. Aiming point. Some some sort of aim, you know, and six feet of the Vegas face, like I could damn near shoot the opposite direction of my pin is still going to be in the middle of that phase. <laughs> right. So there's zero exactly. effort going into it, but it's right. still, still there. So you still have that trigger in your brain. Right. So, you know, if you are dealing with target panic stuff and it is a visual side of it, a lot of times it's like we talked about before with more perceived movement, it's harder to make a perfect shot. Correct. Because you're so worried about that pin sitting in the middle. So sometimes jumping down to that little bit lower power, um, or, you know, just training more so that you can get better at holding steady. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be beneficial. Bridger, I think, is 
I think you got a great point. And I think if you look at target panic, you can actually make subsets of target panic. So a, th- a thousand percent. Yeah, because right now we're talking about visual stimulus TP. I mean, it's it's a definite problem mm-hmm. when you are because you know it, it causes drive-by shooting. I see a lot of guys. Yeah. Back there, moving, 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 moving. When the pin gets there, wham! They, yeah, slam mm-hmm. the freaking release and make the shot. I and mean, that's that's exactly what I did. I used to freeze underneath it, and I'd just sit there and, and move, swing around move. underneath it, and that's <laughs> like, and eventually I just like. Force myself to pick it up. And <laughs> I mean, I would <laughs> obliterate that trigger. There's yeah. a <laughs> huge, huge difference, too, between a drive-by and shooting fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a, a lot of people huge. mistake the two. Yeah. I, I found out that, you know, you come down, and if you sit there and, and aim and aim and aim and aim and wait for that perfect shot, you're going to be there forever. Oh, yeah. So come down, get on it. I mean, if you're a command shooter, just... Let it, fly. Let it fly. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, then you look at the other side of target panic. And I think there's another one, which I think is release driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a physical release problem that, that's TP. But to your point, the, you know, I've always said this, when you are on that pin and the pin's sitting there, from the moment your pin gets in the middle, your shot is never getting any better. Exactly. It's only going to get worse. It's, it's degrading yeah. because you're losing oxygen to your eyes because you're, you're tired. You're, you're holding your breath, which most of us do. Yeah. And the first thing to go bad when you are holding your breath is your eyes. Your eyes will start yeah. to fog over and get shady. And then the muscle structure starts to break down. You can't hold any better. I've always been shocked over how, you know, like Chance. I don't know how Chance shoots a bow. Because he, he holds so, like 18 to 22 seconds. So Chance is kind of an oddball too because he, he actually looks at his pen more than he looks at the target. Really? At least I know he does for uh, like indoor, outdoor, indoor, outdoor. Type of stuff. Right, I'm right. Not, I don't know exactly what his shot process is for 3D. I haven't talked to him about that as much, but I know for indoor and outdoor, he, he looks at his pen more than he looks at the target. Right. And I think some of it is more like kind of how I do it to where I look at it as one image of that you know my in my head you know on a vegas face my in my head shooting at a vegas face it's not you know a yellow target right when i'm looking through the scope it's it's a yellow face with a black dot floating around in the middle of it about the size of 10 a little bit larger right so it's one picture to me so i'm kind of not necessarily focused on one or the other but i'm right in between the two right um 3d i'm probably more i'm definitely more focused on the target right um so Again, like everything else, it's a lot of it's yeah. how your brain works. But um, yeah, I, I I think if you the quicker you can get into your aiming process, the yeah. better. I right. mean, half the time I'm I haven't necessarily started my shot, but you know, once I get through my peep and once I get within a certain distance of where right. I know I need to be, I'm essentially have already started kind of you, moving through the release. Your hard aim, my shot. yeah, just your hard aim process. So, which brings me to another qu- point. Let's go down a rabbit hole a little bit and sidestep this because. Clicker, no clicker. I mean, the reason I use a clicker is to measure the time period it takes me to get from draw to what I call hard aim. Mm-hmm. Because I watch a lot of archers spend way too much time in that pre-aim process. The pre-aim, the mm-hmm. soft aim, just getting to the clicker. And they're yeah. wasting so much energy because it, none of it matters. Yeah. I think some, some of it too depends on the length of click and stuff. Now, yeah. if you're running like... a I'm trying to think who makes fast click if it's the the, um, the true fire stands makes a stand. pretty fast i mean if too. you've got like if you have like eight thou on that clicker <clears throat> like you, there ain't a whole lot of time so i understand yeah, guys exactly. maybe waiting a little longer to hit that click but for right. most guys you're shooting between a, a 12 and a sixteen thousand click right so it 
kind of depends on the length of your click and your shot timing and all that stuff. I think for the most part, forget people that do run a click, you're hitting, you know, you're hitting your anchor. And then by the time your pin gets within, let's say eight inches of your initial or your final aiming point, right. like you're hitting your clicker to right. know you're, you know, you got to go in hard ready. aim. You're yeah. getting ready to start. Now yeah. I run, I don't run a clicker. You run at all. no clicker. I run no clicker. So you're, at all. you're doing everything off pressure. You start. I to mean, pressure. Build, you start can, to build pressure in your release, and that's kind of your. Hey, I gotta. Mm-hmm. Get, I gotta get. Well, ready. and some of that too is like how. I mean, how I got over target panic with my. You know the way my brain works. Me feeling that release moving is calming to me because it tells me like, hey, it's gonna go. <laughs> like as long as that sucker's moving, okay. it's gonna go. So, so just put it psychotic. there. <laughs> that's why he's so nuts. So that's how. That's exact. Almost exactly how he feels how the release moving, it. and he feels it moving, and it calms him. He's weird, dude. Hey. <laughs> See, I, but That's like a, most people, my the form, reason I say that most people are panicking at that point. Like, see, but holy for me, crap, things are going off. I'm going to get there. See, <laughs> for me, I know it's going to leave. So I feel more, I'm a lot more calm. Now, That's if I'm awesome. like dancing around all over the place and it's moving, it's that yeah. then it's the other way. It's yeah. telling me like, Hey, this ain't going to go great. And that sucker's still moving. <laughs> let's, let's let down and start over. Yeah. So for me, it works really well. Yeah. I know chance is kind of, you know, you'd brought him up before he's kind of similar. He runs yeah. a lot of travel in his oh, release yeah. lots a lot of travel yeah. in his release because he's you know he's just he's, a, he's a holder yeah he's just holding weights but no that's, that's awesome that's good stuff because i think that you know once again going back to the click or no click i've shot both man the no click just freaks me out because i sometimes well yeah sometimes i'm sitting there and i think i'm everything's good and i'm thinking okay pen's not moving holy crap i need this to why, go why i need this to go now yeah. why are you going holy roll crap it, roll, roll it, it roll it, roll roll it. it. yeah roll and it. then well, what you're saying roll it i will end up dumping that release yeah i mean just saying okay hell with this well, when you're used to by the time you get to anchor you're at the click yes so and if you don't have that so i actually just spent an hour and a half with a customer last night his name braden beasley he's wanting to become a target archer this guy's a student too i mean he's awesome um and we worked on setting up his release because I'm a firm believer that, once again, that wasted motion before the clicker, that when he gets to anchor, when his hand hits his face, the clicker should go off. Mm-hmm. So then he can go straight into hard aim. There's less perceived movement. Everything's happening I, quicker and better. I think for most people, especially learning a hinge style release, that is the best way to do it. Correct. I learned I learned how to shoot a hinge on a true ball uh what's that one with the safety the sweet spot the sweet spot yeah so like i always had a lot of movement back there a lot of control and i'd click it and then just roll through it so for me uh, a lot of it's just how you learn to shoot a hinge release yeah and then Um, a lot of guys you know you see exactly that they they draw they anchor and then they roll their hand back until they get to the click and then they start their process mm -hmm. and i just think that's really bad mechanics it's setting you yourself up to dump if you're if you're over straining to hit that click if you're literally coming back and having to like squeeze grab the release yeah, to move it yeah, to the click yeah probably not great some of that is you know fixing your hand position you know before you even start to draw the bow back right some of that is release timing and stuff okay, i think so for me- most people within the first i don't know probably two to four seconds of them hitting their like hitting their anchor getting through the peep side that click should be going okay so question if you had to guess because you shoot with these guys every month um, what's the percentage of click versus no click in the pro ranks? Uh, I don't know. Probably like 50-50, 60-40. Okay. 60-40 60, 40, 60 no click? Uh, yeah, I would say if if it leaned one way or another, I would say maybe a couple more guys shoot no click. Yeah. I've heard that no click will make you more accurate than click. 
I mean, I, I, it's a lot of his personal preference. I think a no click is easier to control. Gotcha. You can manipulate it easier, which I mean, if we're being honest, like every, all of us manipulate the release in one facet or another. Yeah, you have to. I mean, it's the same way. I mean, I compare I compare archery to golf all the time. Mentally, it's the closest thing I can find. And the same reason everybody that, you know, isn't on the PGA Tour plays cavity back clubs because <laughs> they don't know how to swing the club right, you know. So they're using the club that's going to make them hit the ball straight more often. Right, Archery's right, right. the same way for your normal guys you know running something that's easier to hit or easier to aim or easier to shoot index finger is going to be more beneficial but you know take pros and attack pga (laughs) pga pros are running blades to where like if you if you any of us picked one of those up if we hit one ball straight out of 10 it would be a miracle you know miracle yeah yeah you know and but they're because of that they're able to shape the ball and kind of do other stuff you know, archery, we're the same way. You don't aim in straight uphill or straight downhill right. or in a hard crosswind where you're having to time your shot a little bit. Right. Being able to manipulate that release a little bit easier, in my eyes, is more beneficial. Okay, so let's go back. And then the other question is, what percentage are um, hinge release versus thumb button? Uh, uh, probably probably about the same. About 60-40? Yeah, 60-40. Yeah. So gotcha. definitely not definitely not half and half. I would say there's more hinge shooters than there are button shooters. Yeah, I agree with that. I was gonna say uh, for, and I still think for the exact same reason. <clears throat> like it uh, a hinge release without a click is the easiest thing to manipulate. Now it's the easiest thing to screw up. But <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm not saying like we're I all could, like I, well, well, head and shoulders la, above everybody. That but, would be a la chance two years ago in Lancaster. Remember that? God, yeah. I felt so bad for that guy. He was hey, on a roll. Hey, man, I've done it plenty of times. And then let one go before I, I got to full draw. I've done it plenty of times. Yeah. You forget one, to. So forget I've done to put your thumb behind. So the I, I was shooting. Or... I was shooting a Carter. What's it? Only I think it was the the, the really hinge, hinge, hinge yep. with no click. Mm-hmm. And I was at uh, I'll never forget. It's been about eight nine years ago. We were in Fort Benning, and I'm on the line, you know, and everybody's practicing, and literally Levi's standing right next to me, and we're kind of shooting the crap, and I draw back get about half draw send one i'm talking 15 feet over he looks at me and starts laughing and i was like yeah that sucked you know grab my next arrow draw back again i get to anchor this time and i'm coming down target wham there goes the second one (laughs) i didn't even go look for it because i was so embarrassed and i literally that day i went to the true ball booth and bought a no it's got the scott booth and bought a longhorn Mm -hmm. and came back and shot that the rest of tournament because i thought if i do that on the course Hey man, I, I've, I've done, done it. it. I've done it plenty of times, dude. I've drawn back, letting down, having arrows go off. Yeah. For me, me the biggest one is letting down off an arrow go oh. off because I won't. I, I'll you like won't. I'll pull my hand away from my and face <laughs> and then rotate it forward. And sometimes Gone. pull away from the face. I'm swing, It's Pop. swinging it just enough that it goes off. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody's done it for sure. That's what, that's. I mean, hell, I one year I had I had third place at field nationals like locked, locked up. Yeah. I mean, we had like three targets left and I went to let down and boink. I mean, literally like two inches before I was at, at full rest and the yeah. arrow like, and landed like <laughs> eight feet in front of me and I couldn't reach it. And I turned around and looked at Rio cause I was like two points ahead of him in the yeah. end. I turned around and looked at him and he's like, oh, I don't know, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but anyways, back to uh, this good stuff. And I think that um, everyone needs to, to experiment to find out what's going to be best for them. You know, maybe let's go down another rabbit hole to talk about thumb triggers because they are centered around this whole process because 
you know, the punchers, we call them, the guys who are shooting the index mm-hmm. and the thumb triggers, um, you know, to shoot that properly, once again, to deal with TP, I mean, you know, the, the dreaded word, the thumb trigger gives you control. The index finger mm-hmm. gives you control. It's, it's a different type of control. Yeah. Now, I, I think if you're a guy that doesn't like to feel movement and you're, you know, intend on shooting a thumb release, quote unquote, properly. Correct. You know, a thumb release is going to be super beneficial if you don't like having that movement and you just like the increase of pressure, but don't want to have the lack of control that you would have with like a, an evolution or a element, right? You know, Carter evolution or stand element style release or tension style release, right? Because that thumb button, there's there's zero movement to it, right? If you set them up how most people traditionally set up a thumb button, you know, not necessarily super light, but you know, on the Pretty lighter light. side, right? Maybe a little bit of pressure to set it off, but zero travel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's zero movement to make that release go off. So if you if you're somebody that doesn't like feeling that movement and just likes adding pressure, a thumb release can be super beneficial. Right. Plus, give you control in the wind if you need. Mm-hmm. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thing. I mean, because it's trust, funny. Trust me, you can you can punch thumb. You're, you can punch a, uh, a, a hand release. Oh yeah, you can. I'm good <laughs> at it. <laughs> Real good at it. No, but like Jason, you shoot a thumb. I do. Correct. I love it. And, you know, it's funny, I had a customer, one of our customers, a good friend of ours, Keith Mott, one time said it, um, you know, Kyle Douglas just won a second Vegas. Mm-hmm. And if you ever, ever watch Kyle Douglas, he hammers the trigger. Hey, man, and he, he did a podcast with Dudley right after he won yeah. Vegas in 2019, or I guess it would have been 2020. And he's like, hell yeah, man, just punch it. Yeah, well, it's funny because <laughs> that's what Keith said. I've been working with Keith for probably two years trying to get him past his punching and he made the comment, he texted me and says, you know what? After watching Douglas, I'm just going to embrace the punch. And he's right. I mean, if you're good at it, I mean, Douglas you know obviously how to do knows it. how to do it. See, for me, I, I learned how to punch a hinge release before I learned how to punch a thumb. So thumb, I, yeah. I like clasp my yeah. whole hand. Mm-hmm. So I can't, sh- I can't punch a thumb. No, but. I was trying to do a release video, you know, instructional video. And I was trying to physically punch it to show you people what not it. to do. I couldn't do it. I almost threw the bow through the ceiling. I mean, because <laughs> it freaked me out so much to do it because I've, you know, hundreds of years seems like of training myself not to do it and mm-hmm. to go actually physically try to punch one. I yeah, can't, I can't do it. And I mean, there's, there's different things that you can do as well. Like you can actually do like Jimmy Lutz where he's sitting here and he brings, you can watch his thumb call all the way around and smash it. Yeah. Like that kind of punch, or you can do the Kyle Douglas. You can do the Kyle, Kyle has great trigger control. Exactly. Like if really? you didn't know he punched it, you, a lot of times you wouldn't know. Right. Householder is the exact same way. Householder Mike Foster is the same way. Well, but he's Mike's in a little bit different boat. Correct. Why Mike, Mike might have the old every <laughs> once in a while. It's usually only one arrow. Thank God. Yeah. Poor guy. But you can but. see it on his jerking. Same oh yeah. Thing that, with that, usually that last arrow is, is yeah. an exciting one to watch. Yeah. I, I just watched him. I just watched I love him. you, Mike. And he 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 knows he's like, man, I got to make gold medal match with that. I just watched way, him shoot a one, podium. Hey, a 140. <laughs> watched him shoot a 140 in his last arrow. You see that classic little Mike twitch? Oh, doggy. And shoots a nine. Dude, hey, let's not be honest, Bridger. World Cup finals. Dude, last dude, dude how, five, how I hard took did you me five that arrow, one? took me five seconds to get the full draw aim and let that arrow go. They were still looking at PJ like, whoa, all sad. You can hear me Boom. screaming in the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that sucker, the second there, I could see gold all the way Gone. around that dot. <laughs> gone yeah that sucker was out of there yeah so there's there's all these different levels of punch 
Oh you yeah, know, I, man. I, mean, I don't like to say that I punch. I do command shoot, and you know, you and I worked on that yeah. for a while, and finally you gave up, and you're like, you know, just what you be do. repetitive. But I mean, as I long mean, as what you, you can do, do it, it shot after shot after shot, it's good. And I think what I've developed is I'll put my thumb on the on the trigger, and I'll just squeeze, squeeze, Quick squeeze, squeeze yeah. and when I see the pin, I'll, I'll you, take that back. I'll look at the target. The target's clear. And when I when I notice that my pin is relatively where I want it to be, see ya. Right. I mean, that to me that goes back to how you learned how to shoot. Yeah. Shooting sports to begin with, because I mean, I don't know a ton about rifle shooting. My but my grandfather was a a gun dealer, and the way he taught me to shoot is you're preloading that trigger. Once you're about where you need to be, it the rest was just slow, steady, you know, Pressure. consistent squeeze. Yeah. Right. So you're commanding when it's going off not Correct. like maybe not exactly but um you know you have conscious control of your trigger yeah. right so i mean if you're you know if your thumb's two inches away from the trigger and you're like swinging at it like a baseball <laughs> that's one thing but yeah. if you're you know if you're controlling your shot process i mean tim's the same way kyle's same way doug or uh, uh robert's same way right you know if you're running trigger control to where you're putting pressure on it and then when it's where you need it to be then you're you know you're adding a tenth of an ounce to send it right yeah that's one thing versus like i said swinging that makes, trigger like a baseball bat yeah that makes perfect sense the way i was taught to shoot i mean when we were going through basic training the way they taught us to shoot was we used to put quarters on our muzzle brake we'd mm -hmm. be laying down have the quarter on the muzzle brake and squeeze your trigger and you're supposed to squeeze your trigger and set it off without the quarter falling off Oh, wow. You had to sit there and do that multiple so times. So you had to times. be slow. Mm -hmm. Slow squeeze, slow yeah. squeeze. But well, at the same time, you couldn't be too slow because the way that we shot, targets were up and then they would come down. Correct. So same thing, back to the whole get on it and, and let it go. Yeah. But so, so I agree with that. That, that you're running trigger control. I know uh, Aaron Tedford, Paul Tedford's brother, he used to train and do something similar to that. He had a... I, for the life i think it was a 500 sp like just a giant big bore handgun mm -hmm. and he would put like one or two rounds in the chamber and just slow squeeze on it so he had like three or four blank shots where it was just dry fire just dry fire and then another one where it would go off and he would spin it so it'd go off randomly so he had no idea so, so he had no idea so he couldn't you know try and react to that recoil that's you actually know, a really good we're idea. about to go do that dude that's a really good i idea. mean that Honestly. if you want to know if you have trigger control issues that's it. That's a number. One, that's a super easy way to do it. Another good one to do it. I used to do it to guys when I worked shields, and guys wanted to get out of you know punching the trigger. I'd hand them a Carter Revolution, say, "Here, yep. try this out," and bury it. Oh man! Well, so I used to do the same thing. I would bury that tension as hard as it could, so it couldn't fire. Oh man! Watch I'd guy watch guys. And, <laughs> oh man! It's like watching a dude get shocked by like sticking a freaking fork in an electric socket. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I've been doubt. training, training myself with that new release. That new true ball, the goat. Uh, no, no, no. The uh, extension. Oh, the, the new extension. The, the back yeah. extension one. Yeah. Well, I found out two things. One, I can't shoot a wrist release anymore. Yeah. It's just I can't alien either. to me. I can't either. And two, if that sucker doesn't go off when I want it to go off, I'm sitting there doing the twitch. Oh yeah. And it's oh, yeah. it's pretty hilarious. Well, to watch. And that, so another good, another good topic then, real quick to talk about is the amount of travel. I've seen some guys shooting some, you know. I'm not going to name the names, but some lower and lower price point releases mm -hmm. and they have a ton of trigger travel, which I think when you have that, you get a lot of shot anticipation. Mm -hmm. You're feeling movement, feeling movement, feeling movement and, it's and not you're going off and it's not going off. I, th I think for your, 
average guy that is 100 percent true yeah like having that trigger travel is for the most part detrimental for most guys now i know there were a couple guys i shot with when i was in junior shooting the junior stuff with world archery and everything they would set their trigger with a slight amount of travel on purpose for the same type of benefit that i get from having no click and a little bit of travel to my hinge release like a hinge yeah yep it's where you know they can feel that movement because they're physically rotating the release in their hand until they get to the end of that sear and it fires right um i i guess for 99 percent of people i wouldn't recommend that right but, yeah but it will that will i mean it's another way to kind of to develop tp target well, panic develop tp or you know if that's the way your brain works right I that's just a, don't. the weird thing about our trees everybody's brain like everybody's brain works in a different way everybody's eyeballs work in a different way right there's a million different solutions luckily yeah. I, I don't so, like any of that travel because by the time I anchor, that's when my thumb actually starts putting pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't need all that extra travel, like all that extra movement. And two, I don't want to get in the bad habit of, I see some people who actually draw back with their thumb on the, mm-hmm. on the peg mm-hmm. and then they sit there. Well, they've got all that travel, but if they borrow someone else's release, Oh, yeah, no doubt. So I don't want to get used to that. And it's, it's, caused me to punch myself in the face a couple right. times when you when you draw back and you forget to take your thumb off um or even letting down mm-hmm. i think that's a big issue I, with, I with thumb releases letting down you you'll send one out i think most people setting a thumb release up with zero travel is going to be your your best, 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 best most effective and way. then just you know as far just playing with your trigger tension right than anything so i was going to ask you um you know i've shot some guys releases or you know i know some guys that shoot a super lightweight you breathe on it and it goes off um and i know i'll give you another example like connor sears his mm-hmm. is so gosh dang heavy you got to add so much pressure See, to that trigger I, to make I, it fire i like running them fairly heavy when, i mean i don't i'm not like as heavy as connor i know he's got his pretty oh loaded my God, up, but it's crazy i like running a little bit lighter or a little bit heavier i mean right um on mine and for the same reason i like feeling the rotation on the release i like knowing that i can get into it right and feel confident that i can kind of muscle it around a little well, bit without it leaving i think there's a happy medium there to you and i agree with you that's what how i set mine because i i i want to be forced to stay in the shot yeah than to just touch and breathe and make it fire you know i don't, I, I don't uh, want it to go off accidentally yeah i'd exactly. rather i'd rather go off with purpose <laughs> <laughs> yeah good point so we talked about like visual stimulus target panic, which is I think a correlation between, you know, your your pin your pin size, your scope power, and which can cause target panic to a mm-hmm. degree if it's not where it mm-hmm. needs to be. You know, we've talked about now release target panic because I think that's a real ailment that's out there. And I think the third one that I always have equated to is shot timing. Yeah, um, when you start to stress out because the shot's not happening within your your. I mean, mm-hmm. Bridget, do you I, I, believe that there's a timing sequence that every uh, archer has? Thousand percent. Yeah. I would say, like, if there's any target panic that I deal with, you know, that's usually reoccurring. It's a timing thing. Yeah, I'll get full draw and I'll come down, sit on the target, feel totally calm, and then I'll hit for whatever reason. Like I hit a number in my head, and it's like, all right, well. Why didn't it go? Hasn't left yet. Like I'm worried this sucker ain't going to sit there all day. Like, and that's when I start, that's when I get into the whole, you know, starting yanking the release a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And I mean, being honest, all of us deal with it. We all, all do pros it. deal with it. Now, yeah. do you keep yanking and, on it or do you let down? Well, I've gotten a lot better. It's taken me about four years, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I at least let down now and try and reset, reset right. everything. Right. But um, usually that next arrow, 
um i it, that sucker goes off pretty quick because i don't want to feel like i'm waiting all day or just trying to you know i want to physically change something in my shot to make sure that i'm not falling back into that correct um but i yeah 100 i think a shot timing panic is another form of target panic correct so yeah it's i i think that every archer and I'm, as a coach i try to tell people and i'll do this on, on my watch and time them and you have to learn and understand where that shot process is and how yeah. long that time like if you get over it and i've I was coaching Melanie LaBeouf yesterday, and she was doing the same thing. Every time she got past her sequence, she shot left. Every mm -hmm. time. And it was just an ailment oh. she has in her in her oh. brain saying, I need to be here, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, if, with your <clears throat> shot placement being different, a lot of that's just muscle fatigue and you know, your pressure's changing. If she's hitting left, she's probably you know, not pulling as hard. Correct. No, she's giving up on the whatever. back end without a doubt. So. Yeah. You know that's one one side of it but the other side of it too is you know the panic side of it is mm -hmm. like i said like where i'm coming from where it's like well holy hell this sucker's sitting there but it's not going to be there all day so i better make something happen right and then you get into other issues which is dumping the release which is or dumping punching it, and, it when mm -hmm. you don't normally and that's going to be not good results on the better end yep. of that air that that shot yeah mine mine usually i guess my indicator is i start twitching in my face or something start getting like really tense in my face which turns into facial more facial contact yeah. uh, and my arrow comes out fish telling i'm like well probably should have let that one down. yeah well it's funny I, I think we were talking to sarah or linda i think it was um i think it was linda achoa and we were when we talked about you know the minute something enters her brain that is not shot related to that arrow that she's about to release she lets yeah. down immediately yeah that's insane discipline that is insane discipline i don't have that God, i'm I usually either. thinking about a million and one things while yeah. i'm full drum. that's not archery related <laughs> like what am i yeah. eating tonight i'm hungry 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah, i'm I mean, trying to get better at it you know i've tried the whole mental coaching and all this other stuff but man it's so hard jason you came up horrible. with the, you came up with the best phrase ever um, that wasn't real, me. That was Thompson. Was it Thompson? That was Ben. Real men don't let down. We shoot eights. Yep. And yeah, he, real men shoot eights. Yep. He proved that a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, though, for sure. But yeah, yeah, target panic is just one of those subjects, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I and I believe, and there are some guys out there on the internet, and I'm not going to name names, that think that they've found a way to solve it, and I just don't believe that is real. I just, I think, I think there's it. things that work for certain people really well um i know like for me a big moving or a big uh step forward i made was uh there's a book called inner game of tennis that i read mm -hmm. and he teaches something similar to a couple guys out there uh like joel joel turner shot yeah. iq being one of them yeah he teaches joel teaches like a conscious conscious effort to make the shot like to where you hit a point and say okay this is happening or it's not and either commit or don't right um and the inner game of tennis is not exactly that but along the same lines that one my counter receptive trigger is i think about what my follow-through should feel like on a perfect shot to where you know i'm thinking about the last domino on the row gotcha and how to topple that everything else in front of that's got to go right first in order for that last one to fall right so for me i if i'm thinking about or visualizing what my follow-through is supposed to be a lot of times i can get to that shot a lot easier um for some people it's put your thumb on the trigger and pull it right i mean everybody's going to be slightly different yeah so some people use mantras some people use keywords mm -hmm. I, I go through a four-step checklist you know mm -hmm. i've got a if step one two and three are complete then my fourth one is let it go right but while i'm doing all of that 
I've got keywords that I'm telling myself mm-hmm. and they've changed over time. It depends how I'm doing. It can be something from don't dump it to, right. you know, just hold hard or whatever. Um, uh, I've taken the, the Lanny Basham approach to mm-hmm. it, um, with the mental management thing. And right. it's, it's worked here and there, but yeah, there was, there was one thing that was really interesting. Like you were talking about how people think that they've found a cure for it and whatnot. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, uh, Riles about it and, one of his opinions was, yeah, target panic. It might just be issues with your form. Right. And you don't even know you're sitting I mean, there. A lot of times it can be that. And and usually stuff, if it is form-based, like it kind of leaks into the mental side of it. Because, yeah. you're, you know, if you're struggling physically, you're, mentally, you're usually going to end up struggling too. Well, that's the thing. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> what George is talking about, and I've seen this a lot. Let's say you're, you're shooting a hinge mm-hmm. and your draw length is a half inch too long. Or mm-hmm. quarter inch too long, biomechanic. You know, I, you said it best. Shooting a hinge is a biomechanical process, meaning yeah. you have to move, have movement to make mm-hmm. it fire. If you're overextended on draw length, where you can't push, you don't and have pull, any room to move. You have yeah. no room to Where'd move. What happens then? Target panic. Yeah. You, you're sitting there. The only way held you can execute is by dumping it. Exactly, and that is going to be a byproduct of a a mechanical process that's not right in your form and setup that is going to cause TP. Mm-hmm. And that is what George is talking about. And I agree with him a thousand percent. I think the big issues that a lot of people <clears throat> self-diagnose themselves mm-hmm. with target panic by watching all these YouTube videos. Oh, a thousand percent. And then they go around trying to find a cure for something instead of finding a coach mm-hmm. and letting the coach diagnose them yeah. with, a, with an mm-hmm. issue. Well, and you know, I, I know Bridger doesn't like blind bailing. I like blind bailing because of shot timing sequence. I get a lot well, of guys who get that. Well, not, you, not, that, I, about, not you that like I don't blind like it. I with think, a stimulus. I think they're, I think, you should always have, have a, a stimul- visual stimulus, stimulus because yeah. whenever you shoot a shot that matters, you're never doing it with your eyes closed. Eyes closed, yeah. Well, so, you know, you you. But you just first... make it so there's minimal effort, which is right. what I said. Like you could damn near shoot the opposite direction at a Vegas face at six feet and still hit the, yeah. still hold your pin in the middle. What I so, used, to, what I loved about Bridger, and I think he educated a lot of our archers on when he first got here. I mean, because a lot of our guys are like, you know, they go out back and they put those little orange tacks up and they start shooting the tacks. And I remember Bridger the first week you were here like you told cody and a bunch of other people you know do you do you shoot them tax in competition well no i sure don't then what the hell are you aiming at it for then <laughs> you know because you're you've had the school of thought that every arrow that you're shooting should matter and it should be shooting and the other thing is and i've adopted this philosophy you know they'll go grab their arrows and put them in their back pocket if you're shooting a scoring arrow you should be shooting it the way you shoot it in yeah. competition like, like i mean you, i i like I, he, you wear your i your, always anytime i shoot a scoring arrow on. i'm always got a quiver on Correct. now if i'm like you train like getting you a sight be. mark or yeah you know sighting in a hunting bow or something right. like that's one thing but if i'm like practicing practicing like if i'm if i sit down i'm like hey i'm gonna go shoot a shoot a three spot or five spot whatever right like train like you compete train like i can compete i'm you know i'm gonna wear yeah. my quiver and even for 3d i wear my quiver for everything right if you're a 3d shooter that runs a chair with no quiver have your chair Dude, put there. your put your chair next to you and have your release pouch on your 100 on your hip because yeah. that you know if that's how you're practicing or if that's how you're shooting and competing that's how yeah. you should practice too. Uh, thousand, i agree with that a thousand percent so, but now back to the blind bell thing what i've used it for is the guys who are timing issues you know they'll sit there and have that timing clock and this is kind mm-hmm. of going a little against what we talked about but if they get past let's say their shot sequences at eight to ten seconds and they get to 12 and you can watch them physically flinch and go, I got to make us go, you know, mm-hmm. and then shoot it. Yeah. I'll make them do a holding drill and it, it's hilarious to watch them do it. The first two or three times they'll draw back, 
you watch him and they say, I do not want you to fire this arrow. I want you to hold it in the middle of the, in the dot and hold it in the dot. And you watch them get to eight seconds, watch them freak out because <laughs> mm-hmm. their brain just shot it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I'm trying to break that sequence up to make them understand you can hold in the middle and not shoot a bow. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, to reset the brain. Well, hey man, I say it all the time. And I bet, I bet I had like four or five arrows in London this weekend where I'm holding on it. That pen literally is not moving. And I'm like, God, this son of a bitch just ain't going. <laughs> like, you just got to let down. I turn around. I'm like, dude, sucker's sitting right there. Yeah. Just ain't still here. It ain't firing. Ain't here. Ain't there. Yeah. Still here. So, yeah. yeah, you get to that, you you hit that number in your head, whatever that, you know, your little internal clock is. A lot of times you should let down. I mean, obviously everybody's going to send one every once in a while. They probably oh, shouldn't yeah. have. Right. Um, But, and sometimes you have to send them. I mean, yeah. there have been times where I've been, you know, in a, final match for world archery stuff where you got 20 seconds like you don't have time to let down and reset yeah, correct in that situation right so i mean obviously there's times where you can't do that you know if you're at full draw on a deer at 20 yards and he's moving at a pretty good clip yeah. like you got you got to send it. it but for 99.9 percent of your arrows like take the time let down don't restart the mechanism yeah don't yeah. don't put that that negative stuff in your I, head i think that you know and i always equate you know, archery kind of like the bass fishing because I did both. And I always said that to win a bass tournament at a high level, you've got to be perfect for three days. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that is just the stars aligning. And I think the guys that capitalize on when they have got it for three days are the guys that win. I think the same way with archery. You know damn yeah, man, well. You've you got to be gotta perfect be for perfect. 46 arrows at you ASA. you got to be perfect for, what, 120-ish? That's you when, know, at a FIDA. Well, and that's when you are on such a good roll that you're not thinking you, you're pen sitting there and you never think about mm-hmm. oh, why ain't it going man what the, it's perfect it's got to go when everything's just happened organically and and that's when you know you're going to mm-hmm. win a tournament i mean yeah for the most i mean part. i i would say that depending on that zone in the zone feeling is mm-hmm. tough now there are a couple books to talk about i know that own the zone mm-hmm. i know gillingham's pretty hot on that one for right. a while um that stuff's good not good and all but I don't know. To me, I'd rather be in control of it, you know, kind of more in line with what Joel is teaching to where if I can control when I'm hitting that zone or not, consistency wise, I'm going to be a lot better. I'm not going to have nearly as high highs, but I'm also not going to be, you know, have nearly as as low lows. lows. Right. Exactly. Because if I'm shooting good and I don't know why, Mm -hmm. it didn't really do me any good the next day when I'm not shooting good and I don't know why. So, which is another thing, journal what you practice journal journal i know a lot of guys journal is a good thing oh it's, yeah i've never been good at journaling i hate I writing i've <laughs> i hate writing i remember when i went on a student ambassador trip they gave us a journal and we were supposed to journal every day and Didn't i happen. literally threw it in the garbage the first day of the trip and yeah. i yeah. you know i never wrote it sometimes it, it works sometimes it don't i'm just not i'm not a good journal or yeah. now you know for me i you remember me- i make I mental say, notes you remember stuff, but yeah so you know, and I'll, I'll write down measurements and all that type of stuff, but right. journaling can be super beneficial for a lot of people. Um, I think Nate, I heard Nathan, I think Nathan journals, Nathan journals a little bit. Um, I, I know there's a few other guys. Yeah, that, there's some guys that really do it diligently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep like an in-depth journal, just something, even some just kind like of note keywords or just a little scribble yeah, notes. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're the only guy reading it. So exactly it's like what it looks like. Yeah. Keep, what it says, as long of, as you know what it means, know, how so, the weather was, what you did. Yeah. Well, look at target. So kind of wrap up target panning. We can talk about this forever. Um, I am just a firm believer that 
And I love when George said this on our last podcast, you know, don't fix winning. Mm -hmm. I know so many guys can shoot really effectively with their own nuance, their own mm -hmm. weird way of doing it, but they get on the internet and they read yeah. that, oh, this is really bad. You shouldn't be doing it. It freaks them out and they try to fix it. And I, that blows my mind. Why would you fix what is really not broke? I, I talk about EJ Veros a lot. EJ, you know, probably a lot of people know him on here. He's Pura Bura online he kills everything on planet earth he's an amazing guy amazing art and he's a hell of an archer i've mm -hmm. shot with ej numerous times and we were at a prime dealer summit and there was a dealer there you know and was talking to ej about his form and how poor it was and ej are shooting together kind of screwing around he's at talking about how he wants to change this thing and i look at him and said bro you, you don't change anything that you do and he's like well what do you mean he said this is not right and i'm like i don't care I shoot with you. You shoot really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and I really told him, I said, if you look at Jack Nicholas and Gary Player as, as golfers, two of the worst forms in golf Super, swings just, you've ever seen in your life. Gary I was Player just was the say, worst. I was just going to say, Jim Furyk's got yeah. one of the oddest uh, yeah. swings on tour, with and he's horrible. won damn near 20 right. events. Would you go tell Jim Furyk to change what he's doing because it's not right, according yeah. to the, the book of golf? No. And I told EJ, I said, you do what you do until you start to struggle. Mm -hmm. I think the only time you would change it is if you're the Charles Barkley. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. You, if, if you, it's horrible and you're not doing well, then you Yeah, go then ahead you and need change to change it. it. Yeah, that's you get a coach and change exactly. it. Exactly. But until take, then, no. no that's that's like do going what you down. Do. That's like, like going down. You go down a USA archery line and you look at everybody shooting. Awesome. Everybody's different. Yeah. And everybody's mental trigger is going to be you know, very slightly. Everybody's yep. physical form is going to vary slightly. Everybody's brain is different. Everybody's, everybody's body is different. At least on now, the compound side, if you go on the recur side, that's like a cult. Those yeah. guys are like, no. You and know, I, you, well, and that's why the whole way. recurve, you have a couple more issues because you got, you're running into guys, you know, if you're not doing it right, that you can physically injure yourself. Right. Because sure. that's how Braden tore his labrum in yeah. his shoulder yeah. years ago was because he was shooting recurve, not, you know, I mean, just too high of a poundage for right. how he was shooting it, right. but he blew his shoulder out at trials one year. Yeah, because <laughs> he, you know, trying to do it wrong. So it's no. slightly different with that. But with but compound, for the most part, you know, on the compound side, compound everybody's side, different. Yeah, don't fix winning. I just mm -hmm. love that phrase. And I just, if you're shooting really effectively and you're hitting what you're doing, you're getting the scores that you want. I don't care what someone on the internet tells you or what any coach tells you or anybody, and not another archer tells you. Because right now we would dissect Kyle Douglas and tell him he's doing it wrong. And the guy's literally won a half million dollars in the last two years. Best archer on the planet at the right moment. now. At the moment, best he's probably the best alive. archer on the planet. Yeah, and you don't tell that guy. You know, I've always got a kick out of Rio. You know, you don't he's you don't go been, tell Rio to change it. His lean. You know, I was looking at Chris Perkins yesterday, and there was a video of him online on Instagram, and I was like, he that guy's lean is so it's worse than Rio's. Mm -hmm. And you go tell Chris to change it. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, you, me, my, I freaking stick my paunch out. I got a huge <laughs> curve in my back that everybody right. says is insanely unstable. Right. And but, you hold pretty well. <laughs> I mean, I've made it work, but yeah, I, I mean, think you, I got you, you beat. Work your, well, yeah. yeah. yeah you work your form, you know, to fit your body yeah. and your mental process to fit your form along exactly. with that. You know, and that's why, and this is a whole other subject for a later time, but that's why I don't believe in NASP. I'm not NASP, but, um, um, the NTS. NTN, the NTS program that the USA Archery puts out, they try to cookie cutter approach every yeah. archer. And I, physically, well, I mean, I think a baseline is good. Yeah, like a you have to have a, a something to work off of. Correct. But being able to manipulate Change. stuff beyond that to make it better for you right. is the best way to go. Because oh, yeah. not not everything is going to work for everybody. No. Correct. Agreed. 
Yeah, I so think, now I think NTS was was supposed to have been, in my opinion, it should be like you said. This is how you start off guideline. Mm-hmm. And, it's a good and, baseline, and, and then we yeah, can move and that's from it. Here. But it shouldn't be to where if you don't shoot every single one of these steps we, this way, you don't make the team. Yeah, not well, you I don't mean, make the team. You're not considered perfect. Yeah. That's where I think you yeah. you should draw the line. Well, oh, yeah. and, I mean, you you rehabbing baseball guy, you know, rehabbing mm-hmm. pitchers like. The, I mean, if you throw a ball wrong, it's very easy to blow your shoulder, or blow your elbow yeah. out. Heck yeah! But there is a million ways to do it right, and yep. you know, to oh, where yeah. you're successful with Absolutely. it. And archery is the exact same way. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can do it wrong to where you can potentially injure yourself. Right. But man, there's million and one, and then some ways to do it right too. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You always say it, Bridger, and I always I'm starting to use it like crazy now. At the end of the day, we're shooting a carbon tube off a string. Yeah, man, and, and we just, love to make it complicated. No, there's no, there's no <laughs> pictures of how you shoot. No pictures of what you look like shooting your bow yeah. on the scorecard. Well, that's what it, somebody that says. Uh, that's your numbers think, higher than everybody else's. Yeah, I think Keith said the same thing. Keith Schnell always says, you know, there's not a comment section on your scorecard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the the only important thing is trying to prevent injuries. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Other than uh, that, do you do you and do it well and. And, and if you don't, then you go get a coach and work through some of the things that, you know, to deal with it. But target panic, I, I, just my opinion, there is no cure other than time behind the bow. I don't think it bow. even exists, honestly. You know, and it, because we call it that, even though we've identified three different ones tonight. Mm-hmm. You know? well, and there's, there's a million other ones. Cause and there's it's tons like everything, of other ones. I mean, yeah. a lot of it just comes down. The main thing with that is it comes down, there's a break in the system or glitch yeah. in the matrix or whatever. Yeah. Going from aiming at the target while you're executing the release oh yeah and there's i mean there's a a thousand different steps that happen in between those two things going on and it could be could be one very simple thing that is causing you to have that hang up and you know punch release or you know not be able to execute that shot correctly or hold under the target or hold to the left or right or whatever i did um you know during my dating years um in between two relationships i had and this was recent like three years ago i dated a lady who was a uh she was like a brain psychologist or brain scientist. Bald eagle brain scientist? No, this girl was crazy. Sure, you can look her up too. Her name was Sunita Punjabi. <laughs> and uh, like had like five doctorates. This girl was I've way talked about this. Than, this is pretty me. cool. But this is a cool story. <laughs> well, she um, she actually had done a th- one of her doctorate thesis was on archery. And she got so excited when we were our first date. You know, we went back and she was showing me some video where she had a recurve archer on wired up to the brain you know all the wires were on the diodes were on there and while the guy was in full draw i think it's your right brain that is your creative thinking sign which allows you to be a good artist and you know do things play guitar do everything do more than one thing at a time exactly and he's at aim and his right side of his brain was lit up like a christmas tree and his left side was dark completely gray and he's sitting there and it's a slow motion video the minute that he starts to move his fingers, which is a mechanical process for, so when we go and say, we're going to go walk from here to there, I'm going to go grab your hand, Jason. That's ba- a mechanical. Basically, right process. when that, that clicker went off is like, I remember you telling me about before the clicker goes off and it was like a light it switch switched. from one side oh, right it, to the other. When he started to release his fingers, his right side went dark and his left brain lit up like a Christmas tree. And what she called that was like synaptic changeover. She said, the, and this is what make, makes some archers great and some not. She had deduced in this hypothesis that when that brain switches from left to right, because you can't operate both sides of your brain simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. It's physically and biomechanically impossible to do. And, she, when, and it was crazy. For that. 
Well, what's crazy is when I told her about what the hinge release, this she went crazy. She actually came into the shop one day to watch mm -hmm. and she was like, it is amazing because you all have found a way to trick the brain. Because, you know, as a hinge shooter, we sit there and we hold on the dot. Mm -hmm. We're building pressure to make the shot go off, but we're really just aiming. Right. And so if you're aiming, you're doing nothing but right. And then when that shot, this is when you see the guys flinch like crazy or their eyes light up when the release fires because they're shocked. They're surprised. Mm -hmm. You know you made a good shot because you're never executing left brain. So it's it's funny you kind of mentioned that, kind of wrap it up. That that goes right in line with that uh, that book I'd mentioned earlier, The Inner Game of Tennis. Right. To where your trigger is a fourth or, you know, an after after effect of everything else going right. And he teaches not necessarily left or right brain, but self one, self two. Self one is your conscious brain, does one thing at a time, does one thing really well, but that's right. the only thing you can do. Right. And your self two or your subconscious brain can do a million and one things at once. At one time. Yeah. And, you know, for me using, you know, thinking about my follow through is me distracting the self one side. or the yeah. whatever side of the brain it is, distracting that, keeping it occupied so it's happy. And letting self too that can do a million and one things be, you know, aiming, putting the dot in the center, holding the boat, full draw, right. rotating the release, letting that brain, that side of the brain do, you know, all the steps, all the, all the right. mechanical steps that, that archery supposed entails. To do. Exactly. And that's, it was so fascinating to, to see that because I, I had always thought that there was something to do with, with a flinch because mm -hmm. I couldn't, I can't shoot a, like you said, an index trigger. I flinched so bad because I'm going from, pin sitting there beautiful my right side of my brain's keeping it there and it looks so nice and to your point bridger i'm thinking man this thing looks pretty when is this shot gonna fire and then what happens is we say left brain says okay right Shoot, now. now dummy and we pull the trigger and uh, we cause that flinch because that synaptic changeover she said can be slow mm -hmm. so what she says when you try to command the shot which is your left brain saying we need to shoot now that synaptic change of from right to left is the flinch. That's every, what causes every, the flinch. All your body's stopping the 10 things it's doing to exactly. hold the bow in the center to do the one thing of pulling the, the, trigger, pull the trigger, rotating the release yes. or whatever you're doing. It, it was fascinating. She actually did a seminar for some of our shooters here and she's got a great book out there. I know a couple of guys bought the book, but it was a, it was just a really cool validation of all the things that I think mm -hmm. that you and I have, have believed Bridger for years. Um, it was validating it because it was done with science and it's pretty cool. So what I'm deducting from this and the validation is that compound shooters are better than recurve. <laughs> I mean, Boom. Better looking. Yeah. Okay. Recurve guys are geeks. Come on. Look at Brady. He's a geek. <laughs> we got to call him that when he goes on the show sometimes. Well, look yeah. at his wife. She's hotter. Shoots better. He stinks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> He's like, he can literally beat most compound people with a recurve. He's done something I never done in Vegas with a recurve. 900, baby, <laughs> yeah. with a recurve. That's ridiculous. So, all right, cool. Um, anything to add? I think we're good. Yeah, we I'm, we I'm beat all, that topic to death. I'm all panicked out. We're yeah. 30 minutes into our store being open, yeah. and I'm pretty sure we're the only ones here. Yeah, uh-oh, <laughs> that's not scary. Um, folks, listen, if you got any questions, I know we talked about this one guy, Jay. Um, he actually typed up a pretty good response. If you've got questions that you want answered, please get with us through our Instagram account or, or Facebook and let us know what questions yeah. you have. We'll cover them. We'll try and do like one listener question a month or yeah, one or two a month or something like that. His so. was a pretty in-depth response that I thought probably warranted to having a show. And it's crazy because we talked about his question the entire show here pretty much because it covered a lot of topics so. yeah which other is good because we didn't have to get into the other 
subjects that oh, I wanted yeah. to cover. No, exactly. No, we don't need to go down there. You just want to get me fired up. I do. No. It's hilarious. No, it's not. Because that phone call would have just made my day yesterday. No. If you would have answered it. No. no anyway. No. Anyway. So, all right, folks, thanks for listening. Until next week, just have a good one. Keep shooting. Let's go.